Walking Toro 74. Um, we've got a special guest coming up later in this podcast, which is just as well because we've got another Toro defeat to talk about. Um, I thought we were that's a brilliant exaggeration in the home match against Lazio for, for a large part of it before we ended up losing. Uh, I thought we played pretty well away at Roma. Um, I got a bit, I was slightly distracted for this match because I was still at work. Um, which may have been a good thing at times. Uh, Rob, for weeks, we didn't shoot on goal. Now we've started shooting on goal. We're just, yeah, we're not very good at converting our chances, are we? Yeah, we, we sort of found our um, our shooting boots uh, at the same time that we've started conceding goals, which doesn't usually uh, calculate into into leading to winning football matches. But yeah, if you think of in against Lazio, obviously I think we played better um, I think for 40 minutes until um, the penalty, I thought we were uh, good. We, we were sort of the team who looked most likely to score. Um, obviously, we'll get onto the penalty in a second, but we we, we did something which we've done before. We, we've bemoaned this team in recent weeks and, and, and maybe all season for its lack of reaction to adversity and and how they, they go about things when things don't go their way. We did it in against Sassuolo. We did it again, where we conceded and then, and then equalised very, very quickly afterwards. And then you would hope that might have given us a bit of the impetus to go in the second, go again in the second half. The problem with that being that Roma were just as bad in the first half, and I think they would have got a bit of a um, a bit of a talking to through it from Daniele De Rossi. And, and if anything, it, difficult to say it, but you you sort of wonder actually, would we have been better going in at one nil down at the at the break, um, maybe that that reaction wouldn't have been so um, pronounced from Roma, given given them conceding on, on, on the half on the interval of half time, and uh, yeah, the, uh, a couple of moments of of quality potentially from from Dybala and question marks maybe on the goalkeeping as well. But once it got to three one, the same old Toro sort of came out where they they realised this wasn't going to be their day. Obviously, did did get a late a late goal to maybe set up a a, a grandstand finish, but that that was never to be either. You texted me during the game and you said, "I've seen this film before," and I've I've written four films that you could have seen, mate. <laughs> uh, one, our attacking threat being mainly uh, Belanova into Zapata. Uh, two, Dybala ter- Dybala being fit and turning up against Toro. Second film. Three, Toro in Rome. So the three away matches under Juric, we've played really well there or started really well in all three. Uh, last year were exceptional when they when they got an injury time equaliser. Um, and then Vanya never really making a save. Uh, they're the four, they're the four the, films. And, and, the, uh, which, um, which isn't the film I was talking about. I was talking about a good first half performance without scoring, but obviously uh, Duvan proved me wrong. Yeah, no, and, and obviously Roma were... They're trying to play a diff- They're pl- trying to play a different way. Um, I didn't think their goalkeeper looked great with his feet, and I really, yeah, I, I think if we'd shown a little bit more aggression in the press, um, and if Tony Sanabria had, I had not had tunnel vision every time he had a, a a chance to shoot from sixteen yards out, then we could have taken the league. Would it have been a different game? I don't know. This is Toro, but. Yeah, I wasn't too flat after yesterday's defeat. I'm kind of resigned to... I mean, I don't even know because Monza and Genoa have hit a bit of form. I don't even know if our, if our kind of safe haven of 10th place is, is guaranteed, especially as we've got Fiorentina, a uh, resurgent Fiorentina and a pretty unpredictable 
Napoli. Well, I mean, we never seem to win in Naples anyway, or however Napoli are doing. So, yeah, it's Europe. I mean, Europe is still pumping out the, you know, we can do it. The European dream is alive, but nah, it's not happening, is it? I, I think this is where the the drop points against. Salernitana and maybe Sassuolo you could add into that a really a come and bite us because I think if we um, somehow if we managed to win those games then these drop points probably wouldn't be as big as they are I think I, I tweeted after the game we probably need four points from Fiorentina and Napoli to sort of realistically be be back in with it with a chance I think the only the only potential thing is that obviously eighth eighth place could be enough for Europe and um, that. Still, in, in terms of the, the table, it doesn't look uh, like it's an impossible task. This is a very difficult um, sort of run of fixtures in the season. Very rarely are you ever going to get four direct sort of competitors for the, for European places in, in successive games. Or And this, I do think this is going to show us a lot. We will know a lot more about Toro's season after the game against Napoli has uh, finished uh, next Friday. So um, I'm still... I'm still not discounting it just because of the performances. I think if we lost and and uh, some of the performances we put in, in, in early on in the season, I think actually we deserve, if we play as well as we did against Lazio against Fiorentina, the potential is that we we might score a couple of goals in the in the in the first half. We've got Bongiorno coming back, which I think Juric is is adding a lot of weight to um, in terms of just having a little bit more security in in the back line. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not giving up hope just yet. You look at Bologna a couple of weeks ago, they look like they're having a wobbler and they've sort of won a number of games in a row. Atalanta, when they when we saw them in December, they looked like the, the Gasparini sort of era was coming to an end and, and they sort of just uh, up until the weekend it couldn't stop winning. So, yeah, I'm not giving it up yet. But, yeah, Toro's inability to, to have won more than twice in Juric's entire era will be will be where Europe has, has been lost and not games in which we played well and lost against Lazio and Roma. Yeah, I was going to say you're 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 putting your money on a on a coach who's not who's not won three three games in a row since he since he took on the job. So yeah, I mean the defense is a good point. Let's we've not really discussed Vanya too much this season because he has got better. He's cut out the kind of elementary goalkeeping errors that we saw definitely first season, partly second season. He's more reliable in that sense. Apart from the derby, he's been more reliable on crosses. His distribution is still very good. He just doesn't make a lot of saves. And it maybe he doesn't have it many saves, but I would expect a keeper who's nearly seven foot to get close to a few penalties occasionally. And his size the, you know, is a factor when he gets he gets down too slowly. And I think I need to see Dybala's second goal again, um, but the third goal, I think he should have done better on. I, I think, but I think the the frustration with Van Nieu is that sometimes when a goalkeeper makes a mistake, you can almost write that down as as just a mistake. I think Van Nieu, other than those those goals in the derby you refer to, they're not out and out mistakes. You just, you just always feel like could he have done better with with some of these shots and and for a team to go on to sort of qualify for for European uh, places and, and the sort of higher echelons of the table, you need a goalkeeper who's going to save you points and and make saves that make saves that he has no right to make. Had had Vanya made a save, maybe not the I think the, the third goal, um I think 
it wouldn't have been an incredible save, but I think the Dybala one, if he'd made that save, it would have been a good save. And and if you think about Salvatore Sirigo, he's probably been the best goalkeeper we've had in the in the last decade or so at Toro. He he did make unbelievable saves when maybe he shouldn't have. And I think that's the frustration with Vanya. He makes saves that you expect him to make. He doesn't make saves that, that you don't expect him to make. And, and unfortunately, that leads more often to not to more often than not first to to concede. Yeah, I mean, let's. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I don't think he's been great the last few weeks. I think the first goal against Lazio, a question as well. Obviously, we went to Rome with a pretty threadbare defence. Uh, none of the apart from Coffee Gigi, who's normally be a first choice. Then we lose Lovato. I haven't checked on how bad his injury is. Um, so Sazanov comes on, which, given his last performance against Salernitana, would make us both pretty nervous. He did okay, but. You know, ultimately, the first turning point in the game was his fault for a stupid tackle on the edge of the box. And I also thought Mazida probably had struggled the most, um, probably gave, it, gave his least impressive performance. I think the, the back line definitely, definitely struggled. And then on the flip side, the attack looked a lot better than it has for weeks, maybe partly because of the space Roma gave us. Yeah, I think just a couple of notes on the... Um... Uh, and in terms of the attack first, uh, given your frustrations that you've you've spoke about in recent weeks about Vlasic and Sanabria uh, occupying the same areas of space, there was an opportunity in the first half where they literally ran into each other, uh, which was quite quite humorous given the, given obviously what you've been saying and and then also secondly, I, I did I I, I was going to say this point. I think I was going to text it or tweet it or uh, or something, and then obviously Toro conceded, so I, I decided not to. But and it wasn't his fault. But can you think of a Toro player? In recent history, so let's say the last, let's say the last fifteen years, who's had a better redemption story than Kofi Gigi? If you think about how maligned he was when he left to go on loan at Crotone, and how maligned he was in his first season under Juric, made a couple of high-profile mistakes, leading to penalties, he's now potentially become, especially now with with uh, Bongiorno and Rodriguez uh, being injured the sort of pair of safe hands in that back three. And he will, I think, well, I think he'll leave at the end of the season and potentially a remus of him from going off for a money move, even in January. So I think that might be what he does in the summer when his contract expires. But I don't think there's going to be any Toro fan who bears him any will and will, will actually hold him in quite high esteem. And bear in mind, he was a figure of fun for a large majority of his early career uh, at Toro. In terms of, Somebody who sort of started at such a low ebb, and and again, he's not, he's he's not sort of Paolo Maldini. He's not going to be like a uh, sort of remembered as, as one of the greatest defenders uh, in in Italian football history or, or Serie A history or even even in Toro history. But uh, in terms of where he started and and how he's progressed to, I was I just just watching him. Just it just I think I'm actually going to miss him when he goes. Oh, a little tear in your eye there, Rob. Um, yeah. It's a funny thing to say. He's not had a bad game since he stopped having bad games. I mean, it's he had uh, under Urich at the beginning. I, I remember giving away penalties in back-to-back games against uh, Lazio and I think Venezia. Venezia, yeah, yeah. And everyone was questioning Gigi. Uh, he just come back from. I don't think he come back from Cortina. He'd just been part of that mess the season before. And then Urich stuck. I, I think. Stuck I think he was. No, I think he was at Cortina the season before. Um, I thought it, who effectively, I thought it, they'd effectively because obviously he was he was involved in the game where Simi 
scored, I think, uh, against okay. Benevento, which potentially, I'll, I'll double check that, but I think he was potentially in part of the team who inadvertently kept Toro up. Okay, because I wondered, I remember him scoring an own goal in a derby, perhaps under Nicola then. Um, so you might be right. But yeah, he he hadn't been very good. Um, I don't think he's had a bad game since then. And he's a guarantee of a more or less a 7 out of 10 performance. And But Ricardo Rodriguez, not a similar journey at Toro, being how bad he was in the first season. Yeah, that's he, a I mean, that... he, he, that's he a fair point, him. but I don't think he was he, ever as as maligned as uh, as Gigi. I think like Rodriguez in his first season just didn't play. He wasn't fancied um, to play under under Longo. So um, yeah, maybe under uh, 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 Nicola. Sorry. Um, so yeah, maybe yeah, maybe that's a fair point. We've actually got I, we've got two redemption stories in our back three. Yeah, I don't think in Italian football that it's so short term that. It's very hard for a player to have a, I don't know, a bad six months, 12 months, 18 months before being sold. So uh, it's a difficult one. I'm sure there are some examples in the uh, more distant past. But I mean, I guess before we do Toropedia and look at the Roma, ge- uh, look at the Fiorentina game, sorry, uh, decent ahead of that from Zapata, wasn't it? Yeah, I think maybe a couple of question marks on the goalkeeping as well. It sort of maybe. <laughs> maybe wanted uh, Vanya to feel a little bit better after uh, his his mistakes that were to follow in the second half. But yeah, it just seemed to go in slow motion. Again, Bellanova, I think I spoke previously about him potentially getting an Italy call-up for, for the next run of uh, fixtures in March. I think that's now got to the stage where you'd be surprised if he doesn't rather than be surprised if he did. Um, his his last performances have been had been very, very good. Maybe the only concern is that in, in both games in the second half, he sort of slowed down a little bit and, and maybe that's I noticed in the against against Roma we tried to make a bit more of an effort going down the left hand side uh, and Lazaro uh, in the second half as well maybe to give Bellanova a little bit of a break because yeah the way he sort of bombs forward for from right back and if he does that for the entire game it can be quite uh, quite tiring for him but yeah I think um, yeah it was a great cross and great header and, and that's potentially where you, I, I was a little bit concerned that that seeing that goal and seeing that connection with Bellanova just whipping crosses in is going to give um, even Juric an idea of, of Zapata Pellegrini again. Mm, don't say it. We'll come on to the team lineup for the weekend in, in a second. But I guess final thing on Rome, I don't want to dwell on it too much. Did Juric make the three one those subs a bit late? I mean, I want to see a bit more of Okareke to get, only get him, give him ten minutes. I don't know. Just that felt like there was a. <sighs> We need we needed some some spice really when we yeah and, and I think when we when we get the goal as well, Akarike had a, had an opportunity which which Vila spilled just before uh, Richie scores. I thought actually Richie played poorly against Lazio when he came on, but I thought he played quite well um, yesterday. Um, and yeah, maybe a little bit of fortune, maybe a little bit too late. Just a couple of issues in the game. I mean. There was four minutes, I think, added on, and there was a minute taken uh, to resume play. And Svila was wasting quite a bit of time. And yeah, I, I felt there was probably a little bit of extra time could have been could have been added, um, given the amount of time wasting there was during the game. Um, and yeah, I think I was calling for substitutions probably about fifteen minutes before they happened. Just we looked tired. Um, I think Unitas. <sighs> 
I'm just not fully sold on yet. I felt that was a game that was for Linetti and um, even Linetti in the last sort of 20 minutes when he came on showed a little bit more energy and it's just, just a bit more mobile, which seems a bit of a strange thing to say because we, we've spoken about Linetti's sort of stature previously. But yeah, I felt um, that was potentially uh, a mistake or, or maybe you could have just bought him on a bit sooner. All right, Torpedia. Well, I'm ready. Seeing as it's um, last time. well, seeing as it's Fiorentina this weekend, I've, I've got somebody who's played for both clubs, but I think it's an easy one. So, with well, that in do, mind, do I do. So, I'm not giving you the years. All right. Um, which, it, which, 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 which has happened before. It's happened before. Okay. Um, so, just one second. Uh, listening back to to these in the Everton process, I realise how non audio friendly these therapies can be when we're waiting, when we're just thinking. So I might just try and fill the gaps in with uh, I don't know some Phil Collins sing, singing or something. Um, so I'm not giving you the years. So uh, San Lorenzo, thirty three two, Venezia. Four appearances, zero goals. Palermo, 2000. Oh, oh, he's made a mistake. Sorry. He's made a mistake. I, I don't Pal- want to be cocky. I think I think I might have this already. Wow. Do you want to do you want to throw your cards into the hat already? I, I well, I don't want to ruin it for people at home. Okay. I can put it in. I can put it in the chat, but it's not my finance because I've got the. The right to hear it all, but okay. I, I will all right. put, put it in the chat. Put an answer in the chat, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let people know if you get it right. So, um, so where was it? Palermo ninety-one four, Chievo on loan twenty-eight three, Fiorentina one hundred and eight fifteen. Yeah, Napoli eight to zero, Cesena sixteen three. This, I mean, this has become redundant because I've seen what you've chatted, and I can see that you're right. Um, Torino 27-4 I saw one of those goals one of them was against Fiorentina as well I saw the goal against Milan he scored uh, Genoa 6-0 jeez anyone he not played for uh, well I didn't. Even, I don't remember this at all but I don't know why I would have unless I was his agent uh, Olhanese which I believe it must be Portuguese team um, 3-0 fancy the little, little holiday in the Algarve Um Frosinone, 12, 12 and one, and then bit of a uh, bit of a jump here. He had a spell at Propatria, uh, ninety nine thirty two. So that's got to be that's so good. That's got to be that's got to be his father editing Wikipedia. <laughs> I've heard of it. So it, well, it, it went down, it jumped down to Serie C and and uh, ended up scoring a goal every three games. So maybe he was up front, uh, and that earned him a move back to Palermo, thirty two five. Jeez, long old career. Um, but yeah, I believe you've got the answer. Uh, I'll, give uh, it a little, I'll give it a little break, in case, a little pause in case anybody else wants to, but yeah. Mario Santana. That is correct. Um, I <laughs> Just when I found this, obviously, this is this, uh, this sort of feature on the podcast, it's, it's called Toropedia, so there's no guesses as to where we find the information from. Um, and I found in the personal life section potentially one of the weirdest sentences that I've ever seen, um, and something that's made something so sort of um, normal uh, appear like a football transfer. Um, so 
at the end of his, the last sentence in his personal life section says that he success, successfully remarried with a woman from Palermo with whom he had two more children. I mean, how do they know it's a successful marriage? Maybe they're still together, potentially, but... But he successfully... Can you, successfully, can you unsuccessfully remarry? I don't know, but he was successful <laughs> in remarrying her. Maybe she divorced him and uh, he was successful in winning her back. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Yeah, maybe it's the same person, but yeah, no, it made me chuckle. But yeah, correct. Mario Santana is is the right answer. So the player I am... Yeah, I like I like Mario Santana. Yeah, I didn't mind him. I didn't mind him. Low, low sense of gravity, um, quite fast, and that kind of. But it was the first uh, season back in Serie. A. Yeah, and, and, and we, had, we, had a, we had a famous game in Florence where I think the three 0 down made it three three. Yeah, and lost three. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully not a omen of things to come. But I um yeah one of the, and that first year in the under Ventura back in Serie A was sometimes a tough watch. So um. Santana provided a couple of moments of, uh, of of sort of watchability. I wonder if you're going to put in a bit of a music track like you did last week then. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going to bring in our guest in just a sec. Uh, and we have a very interesting chat about following Italian football in the 70s, 80s, uh, uh, launching a pretty much, I think, the first English language um, fanzine on Italian football being a massive part of the football Italia era, um, co-hosting a really successful uh, podcast on Italian football today. So we will introduce him in a second. Um, but before we do, uh, Fiorentina, Rob, Saturday evening. We're off. Well, surely it's last last uh, last chance uh, saloon for, for Europe. I don't know, but um, yeah, usual. Uh, well, I'll give I'll give the form guide. We've only lost one of our roughly our last twelve or thirteen at home to Fiorentina, so we've got a fairly decent home record. There's a big win, four 0 under Juric's first season. I remember a pretty memorable three one when uh, Daniele Bazzelli looked like he was going to be the uh, the new future of Italy's midfield. Um, but yeah, lineup. What lineup will Juric make? What's your prediction? Well, just just firstly on Fiorentina's away form, which I didn't realise was, was as bad as it is. So they've lost. Oh, don't say that. Four of their last five, um, wow. and yeah, the, like you say, I think if we are going to get in, even sort of force our way back into the conversation, um, Fiorentina are currently five points ahead of us. We could go again with Fiorentina and Napoli being our next two games. I can't see us going to Napoli. And winning in again, you never know with Taro, but I think we made it after two good performances, not got the results. We need a confidence booster, which then could sort of propel us into into going to Naples against a side who have will have their mind on other things with with Barcelona and the Champions League on, on the horizon. So um team wise I, I haven't heard but Bongiorno's back, but I'm just praying that a miracle happens um and yeah I'll, I'll give you a team without Bongiorno but obviously if if Bongiorno is uh, is fitter in any in any way to play uh, safely without getting re-injured then obviously he would come in but yeah it, I, I it worries me a bit again obviously Lovato and, and Sazanov one if if Lovato not fit then I do wonder whether that maybe forces Juric's hand if Bongiorno is 50-50 but uh Mingup Saric I think 
Jamelo had one opportunity in, in in Bologna and and failed, so he he would be the goalkeeper. Belanova, obvious starter. Gigi, um, I'll go Sazanov uh, with us not sure on the injury status of Lovato and Bongiorno. Um, I would go Rodriguez at left wing back. Uh, sorry, at left centre back, and I would I would maybe rest Messina. Uh, I think he said that he looked maybe a little bit. Uh, tired, so yeah, maybe Rodriguez left centre back, and which which means uh, Lazaro again. I don't think play, has played particularly badly in the last two games, so uh, bring him back in, um, or well, continue him playing the left wing. Um, in the middle, I think Richie did enough to keep his place, and then probably Linetti. I think his energy uh, over maybe Illich's, um Well, I'm not quite sure what Illich has been offering (laughs) recently, but that's potentially an interesting uh, idea that you floated as well, Illich being the the left wing back. Uh, But I'm not sure that's uh, something Juric is going to risk in a game like this. Uh, Vlasic, again, he he occupies very smart um, sort of areas in the pitch, um, can can dribble with the ball very good against Lazio, maybe not as good against Roma, but still... Passable, so he can stay in the team. Zapata, again, I think has to play. Um, I would like to see Okareke, but I think we will probably see... I've got a horrible feeling we'll see Pellegri again. I um, I don't think we'll see Pellegri because I think he stunk the place out away in Florence. And even Juric must have seen how bad his performances have been. I think he just loves Sanabria so much that it will... if. Yeah, I don't know. The minutes Okareke has been, has been given such, such such few minutes, I just don't see him starting. I think it'll be Sanabria and Zapata. I don't know, Voivoda's fitness. Personally, I think Lazzaro needs to come out at some point just for a break. Uh, and then if Voivoda's fit, maybe he's got, a, he's got a few cards to play on the left. None of them may be that attractive. But yeah, could we see Mazina left wing back? Rodriguez in a cameo left wing back at Roma did not look unsurprisingly to have the the mobility I think Linetti will come in whether there's a place for Tamese somewhere in the defence as an emergency I'm not sure another consideration I'm not sure he, uh, he was injured for Roma so I'm not sure if he is um, he will have recovered in time there's that as well so yeah we'll see um, prediction I am can I have two predictions no well, you can have what? Well, what, what it, a caveat. So, if Bongiorno yeah. plays, I think we will yeah. win. So, if Bongiorno plays, my prediction is two-one. Well, this has never been seen. Before. If Bongiorno doesn't play, my prediction is two-two. Okay. Are you allowing it? Oh, I don't know. If you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're, if turned out to be right, I'm not alone. <laughs> if you're wrong, I don't, I don't really <laughs> but I'm going for one-one. Gemma uh, Lajo, friends. Uh, uh, Fiorentina, it's not a bad result because they're more in the mix than we are. Um, 1-1, I don't think is great for us, but at least it stops the the run of defeats. So I think it'll be 1-1. All right, uh, I don't want to talk about this guy too much because we've we've done him to death, but um, is 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 the Gallo scoring? Oh, I thought you were talking about Mandragora. Um, uh, I, I don't think he will. Um... Just, I think there might be some sort of. I mean, it isn't, he's had trouble scoring for, for Roma, and I think he scored once for Fiorentina, but it's not been sort of massively in the goals. Um, just the way that he missed the penalty for Roma last season, I do think there's maybe a bit of a psychological 
uh, burden pressure, whether it's going to be trying too hard, whether he sort of doesn't really want to um, sort of not, I, I don't think any professional doesn't want to score against one of their former teams, but again, it, it will be interesting to see what sort of reaction he gets from uh, the Toro fans. I was there in, uh, in Turin when we played against Roma and the, somebody in front of me was wearing a, a Bellotti Toro shirt. So he, he definitely wasn't sort of um, hated as maybe some players have uh, who've left the club. Um, don't think you'd have seen that with Balzaretti or, or, or Bonner, but um, I think it's, yeah, it will be interesting, if, especially if he starts, maybe even comes off the bench, probably be a bit more telling in terms of the reaction. Uh, I think he, he, did he come on for, for Roma early on in the season? I think he did. Yeah, he did. I don't, yeah, he got, I don't think there was a... He got fiercely booed when he came on. Yeah. yeah. My, I mean, my prediction this thing is he's lost the Corva. The Corva will boo him and they'll allow his voices. The distinti and the more, I don't know, say reasonable... Um, or less partisan fans may applaud him or be indifferent. I just wonder whether Velotti may seek to make a truce at some point and say something ahead of the weekend, whether it's time he did a press conference or whether it's he engages with the fans. I mean, I, I'm past caring about it, but... Do you think if he if he scored, do you think he would celebrate? No, I don't think he would, but I don't, I'm not, you know... He might do a camel glick and, and celebrate and then have his goal disallowed, which is probably the worst of both worlds for him. So, <laughs> how, about, um, how about Paul when he uh, scores and apologises? Yeah. Anyway, let's, without further ado, so I guess this week is a Fiorentina super fan. It is a uh, good friend of the pod, Giancarlo Rinaldi. It's a uh, yeah, really great interview we've, uh, we've done with Giancarlo. A um, few audio issues in places. Um but they shouldn't, uh, yeah, they shouldn't impact your viewing. So, uh, yeah, see you next week. Forza Toro. Forza Toro. Hey, welcome back to Talking Toro. We've got a special guest this week, uh, Giancarlo Rinaldi from the Rigore podcast and many other things. And Giancarlo, this is the first time you and I have come face to face, despite the fact, I mean, I've been aware of your work, I calculated earlier, 32 years. So that is that that is a lifetime of Robert Gilman sitting on this call. Um and I'll I'll explain why, because in the early nineties, uh Giancarlo produced a fanzine on Italian football called Rigore, which I was a admittedly quite a young subscriber to, about being about ten, eleven, um, must have been older than that. Um, maybe in my early teens. And then in Channel Four picked up the rights to Serie A in the early nineties, and Giancarlo, you were pretty much a permanent member of the Football Italia magazine team. And you also produced uh, a kind of companion book to the first few seasons, I think with a guy called Ray Della Pietra. Am I right with that? Yep. And um, I must have read that book from cover to cover um, throughout my teenage years because, I mean, getting hold of any content in Italian football at the time was very difficult. Fast forward the late 90s, I joined the permanent staff of Football Italia. So I would liaise with Giancarlo by... I guess by email and articles, features, ideas. Uh, so we're in contact then, where, although we never met. And then Football Italia later became Calcio Italia and then sadly disappeared. Um, but Giancarlo, it's great to see you're still a kind of prominent contributor to all things Serie A in the UK. And you've come full circle, uh, releasing uh, a few years ago, I think, a podcast called Rigore, which, um, unlike ours, is short and cuts to the chase and replaces places our monotonous Midlands tones with, I've got to admit, you and your cousin 
Uh, I'm sure are perfectly nice chaps, but you do sound quite sinister with your Scottish Italian accent. So, uh, but I, I love listening to it on a Monday, especially because I don't get to watch every Serie A game. So it's a great kind of um, it's it's a great kind of very succinct wrap up. Uh, and I like the Serie B stuff as well. So um, and then just one anecdote. Um, so on Football Italia, Giancarlo, I don't know if you remember this, but we used to do as part of our job a daily telephone hotline. Um, and where one of the staff, basically, or one of the freelancers would do like a three-minute script and record the day's Italian football news. The idea being that some idiots would spend a pound a minute to listen to our rambling stories, which are generally lifted from three-day-old copies of, of Gazzetta. This being pre-internet. Um, and kind of all football clubs at the time did a similar thing. Anyway, back in 1998, the only way I could find out the result of Trina's Serie B playoff final against Perugia was by calling the hotline. I never got the feeling, Giancarlo, as my heart sank as you, it was your voice, told me that Perugia had beaten us on penalties. So, Giancarlo, your voice <laughs> would always remind me of Toro failures, but uh, you're not to blame for that. But anyway, welcome to the Talking Toro podcast. It's great to have you here. That's a great intro. I hope I can live up to it after that. I don't know if, if my tone uh, too sinister for uh, listeners. We've got a few questions here for you, yep. starting off a bit random, but let's just, talk about just to Just to jump in there, Peter, because you set me up quite nicely, actually, talking about one missed penalty to another. Um, one of my favourite tweets of all time is actually from you, yourself, Giancarlo, which I, I, I still remember to this day, and thankfully I've got it to read uh, verbatim in front of me, even though it's nearly nearly 10 years ago, which makes me sad, makes me feel old. Um, but it was after Torino somehow found their way into the Europa League following uh, Palmer's financial collapse. And obviously I was in the uh, I was in Florence for the 2-2 draw against Fiorentina where Toro failed to beat a team who who quite clearly wanted uh, wanted us to win. So yeah, uh, Alessio Cerchi missed a last minute penalty. Uh, and then after the decision that uh, that had been made by the authorities for uh, Torino to sort of sneak through Europe through the back door. Uh, this tweet will always, I'll always remember this tweet, which was the decent thing uh, to do would be to gather Alessio Cerchi's tears from the Artemio Frankie pitch and give them back. <laughs> I do remember that, funnily enough, because I, I had a sort of a, a kind of love hate relationship with Cerchi. He was obviously, he was at Fiorentina as well. And he was one, I mean, in a long line of infuriating wingers that continues to this day he was he was one of them so but yeah it, it's a bit now it was sort of preempted the var era as well i think because you know these sort of things where you know after the event uh, a judgment is given i always speak, you know the how many now goal celebrations or frustrations have we seen that are then overturned obviously the var much quicker but the wheels of italian sporting justice don't turn quickly and you know and that was that was just typical of that kind of thing where what happened on the field of play seemed so traumatic and yet you know an age afterwards it was overturned and you know he, he didn't need to he didn't need to cry after all and i'm pretty sure that was his last kick in a thorough shirt as well so yeah it's uh, it was, it was, it, was it was probably his last kick in any shirt I think. <laughs> but it was uh but jane uh, just going to talk to you about the podcast you're doing from the the, the point you started at it was just like, so much of your life has been dedicated to your kind of passion of Italian football. I appreciate you have a you have a day job as well. So maybe just tell us a little bit that that kind of full circle from the from the fanzine through to the podcast today. 
Well, yeah, I mean, as as it's been a long time, as you mentioned in the in your intro, and um, you know, I guess I started an era, as you've said, when it was very much more difficult to get information on Italian football. You're talking, you know, I'm just I'm just a child of the sixties by a few by a few days, and uh, so I can kind of remember very sketchily the late seventies when Italian football had a really bad reputation in the UK and it was all about the dark arts and Catenaccio and you know being very defensive or whatever and so my dad and my uncles were sort of very passionate defenders of Italian football and they always said you've got to tell them you've got to tell them what it's really like kind of thing and so through through the 80s through watching Italian football as soon as I graduated from university I knew I wanted to do something kind of involved in writing and it was just at that explosion of the the fanzine era in Britain and I remember reading When Saturday Comes which still exists and it used to have, I don't know if it still does, it's a big directory of all the fanzines across the UK and there were literally hundreds of them and I remember and this is no, I've told this story before but it's no disrespect to Port Vale who are a fine, fine club. But I think they had three, possibly four fanzines at the time. And I thought, well, if that can happen, then surely there are enough people interested in Italian football. I mean, it happened that there were yourself included, much much appreciated that we sent your postal orders um, faithfully to get to get Rigori. But, you know, there was a good readership for Rigori. But I was quite lucky in that, it just as we st- I started Rigori, really, Channel 4 took over um, the Italian football. So suddenly it got to a much bigger audience. And in a way, I like to think that Football Italia, the official magazine, was sort of Rigori gone legit because there were quite a few people who cut their teeth journalistically on the fanzine, myself, um, Dave Taylor, and Mario Rizzoli. There were quite a few good, good writers who wrote for that who then went on to write for Football Italia, the magazine. I wrote for every single edition of, of that magazine. I did do the, the chat line <laughs> as well. I don't know. I don't know if people would pay money to listen to this, to listen to this voice, but it was all pure football. There was nothing, there was certainly nothing erotic <laughs> about it, I don't think. Um, but you know, and people paid money to that. I can remember doing that even through my student days and phoning up a, a phone box to kind of from a phone box to to put this stuff online. I can only apologize um at a delay of about 30 years for for breaking your from breaking your heart um so carried on with that as you say wrote the co-wrote the book with Ray de la pietra who was channel four's researcher and a big pescara fan so it happened that we wrote that guide in a season i think we both got relegated the season before i think fiorentina and pescara Neither of us had our team in Serie A, which was a cruel, a cruel thing to do, really. To us. so we we wrote that, and I, I've kept on, you know, on the website now, Football Italia website. I still write there, and the the podcast, the Rigori podcast, um, the podcast. Maybe it's the podcast you can't refuse or something. If our tones are if our tones are menacing, I don't know. Um, that that uh, that started a couple of seasons. Well, we're now in our third season, sort of a two and a half seasons worth of rambling. And, and as you say, we pride ourselves on being 
sort of um, succinct to the point and generally wrong on everything. I think we we tend to we make sort of outlandish predictions or we we curse players who then score overhead kicks the following week or or you know or or we praise players who then go on to get sent off and and end the game in shame. So you know that's ill informed. I think is is what we are and also. Um, I mean, a bit like this podcast, I guess, we look kind of from the bottom up a bit of Italian football in that, you know, we're not we're not supporting the biggest teams in the country. I'm a Fiorentina fan and my cousin, poor soul, is a Venezia fan. So we kind of, um, we like to kind of um, show a bit of disrespect for the big teams, Juventus in particular. So that should curry favour with your listeners, I would imagine. It's the anti-stripe alliance, isn't it? So I, I feel I feel like any achievement for a team outside the big three. I mean, you just look at the number of league titles won since the sixties by a team that's not Milan, Inter, or Juve. It's it's so few. So no, that's that's one of the really nice things about your podcast. And was, so growing up in the seventh, like before you hit those kind of rigori years, how did you follow Italian football in the 70s and 80s? With great difficulty is, is the answer. I mean, you would get, you could get results in the papers like three days later or something. You know, you would get, I think it was on the Tuesday, you would get the results of the Sunday's games in Serie A. So there would be a tiny, you know, about two inches in the, in the papers. My dad used to subscribe to La Gazzetta dello Sport as well. So that was, you know, we would get that. Um, but again, you know, it was it was well delayed, but there was no other information. So it was as good as fresh, really, to me. And also, um, later on, uh, shortwave radio was a, was a thing, if you can believe it. I used to get, um, you could just about pick up like tutto calcio minuto per minuto, crackling through the airways. And, you know, it's still quite a romantic thing for me to listen to a game on the radio. Now you can obviously do it a lot more easily with the, with streaming and the likes. But, um, you know, I can remember as a student listening to um, Bologna knocking out hearts in in Europe, I think, turned round. I think they were maybe 2-0 down from the first turned it round. 3-0, I might, I might have got that wrong. But, you know, I can remember listening to that kind of game on a shortwave radio. And so that was really how I kept up with information. And then in the summer, um, family, as the name suggests, family of Italian origin. So we would go back to the little village that um, my family's from, Barga in, in Tuscany, and I would devour any Italian food. There's pictures of me there when I had here um, sitting almost James Richardson like on the on the terrazza in our house with the gazeta and uh, I, I don't know if I had a cappuccino I think it was probably a fruit juice at that at that time and just pouring over you know I, I love the I loved when the calcio mercato was much shorter and more to the point and you got these great um, grids in the gazeta which showed you know who who you'd signed who you'd sold who you were interested in and I would pour over this um, to try to assess the teams for the season ahead so you know there was a there was a lot of research went into being as ill-informed as I am now really um, back in my in those early in those early days and the other thing I suppose was you might occasionally see Italian teams you know that you would see Italy at the World Cup 
and you might see an Italian team if they reached a European final. But it was always as the sort of pantomime villain of these games. You know, they, I don't think they played kind of sinister music when the Italian team appeared, but it wasn't far short of that, certainly in the in the late 70s and early 80s. I do remember at, at the, after the 1982 World Cup, my dad writing to... Um, it was a journalist called Ian Archer who'd said it would have been better if the World Cup had gone to hell than gone to Italy. And my dad writing to him to demand to demand an apology. And I remember seeing it in Greavesy after Italy played Poland in the opening round, saying neither of these teams will do anything in the World Cup. And one won it, and the other one got to the semi-finals. So it showed how good they're. And that was I was twelve years old when and when they won the World Cup in '82. And I was in Italy and I remember standing on the steps of a little cafe um, in Fornaci di Barga, near Barga, with my dad and tears rolling down my face and saying to him, you know, we should, we should <laughs> see it in Greavesy, Dad, we should see it in Greavesy, you know. So um, it, there was always that sense, certainly growing up, of defending Italian football that there was, I think there still is, but not so much now, but, you know, certainly then there was a huge prejudice against Italian football. And there was a lack of knowledge as well, you know, which I think um, Football Italia on Channel 4 did a lot to dispel um, some of these myths. But as I say, it's still quite hard to get rid of some of them. But but that was really, you know, so I was a, a young a young defender of uh, of Italian football and now I'm a slightly older one. And... So I guess the Fiorentina connection—that's through family, then. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that well, family and seeing them play—that was um, the families from so the nearest big team, uh, as you know, consistently in Serie A in Tuscany is Fiorentina. I suppose Lucchese would have been a closer call. Um, but you know the, the, you'd want a team that would actually I mean, well, I see win something. They haven't they haven't <laughs> won very much, but you know in in theory we'd win something. But I also, um, I mean, what clinched the deal really? If if you know if perhaps I bobbed around supporting all Italian teams for a while when I was younger, um, was was when Fiorentina did the pre-season training. Um, there's a big um, complex called Il Choco near to Barga where. A number of teams have done their pre-season. Sampdoria did it, and then through Sampdoria, you got um, Rangers coming across in the Sunes era. I think, I think Kilmarnock, Everton. I think there's a lot of teams have done their pre-season there. But anyway, when I was eleven or twelve, I think it was just after the World Cup when Fiorentina came to do their their pre-season there, and these it was like it was like the gods descending from Mount Olympus. These sort of bronze and figures came into our little village. Giancarlo Antonioni being one of them. So, you know, that was my namesake or whatever. So that was it. I was just hooked. They played a game, a friendly against the local sort of village select or whatever in their pre-season warm-up. And Antonioni, I mean, I will be romanticising this at sort of 40 years of distance, but what the hell? It looked like he glided across. It looked like he never touched this pitch surface, which I still go to now. They hold the annual fish and chip festival there at the Stadio Johnny Moscardini in Barga, named after the only Scottish-born player to play for Italy. Anyway, Antonioni just... On this surface, the what he could do with the football was just—I was transfixed. It, 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 he was so elegant; he, he never got flustered. I mean, obviously, he was playing against amateurs, so he would look great. But just the same, the way he covered the ground 
as I say, it seemed like he didn't touch it. And the surface was terrible, and yet he, he could control the ball. It wasn't even controlling the ball wasn't an issue that even kind of preoccupied his mind at all. The control was kind of a given. He was already, you know, as it was coming to him, he was working out how he would pass it, where he would pass it, pinging 40, 50 yard passes without any bother at all. So uh, hopefully I've given you a feeling for why that was it. It was it's kind of like a love story, really. That was it. I saw Antonioni, I saw the purple shirt and the, the rest is history, really. Do you think Antonioni's set a kind of template in a way for... I always associate Fiorentina with always having, okay, not players at that level, um, maybe barring a few exceptions, but you've always... Fiorentina, in my mind, always play quite nice football. The slight Tottenham-esque, um, uh, you know, if there was an English team closest to it, they, they have... they. Yeah, very very regularly entertain, but um, kind of don't deliver when it really matters. Particularly in the nineties as well, when you when you had that super team. But you've always got players who can catch the eye. You've always got number tens. Whereas us at Toro, we're a bit more blue collar, so we like our players. You know, not necessarily in the Pasquale Bruno mold, but the DNA of Toro is green. So it's uh, it's never giving up. It's you know coming from adversity. Whereas the, the I guess yeah, is that kind of that type of character always kind of been been prevalent in Fiorentina teams since. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, I think I think it was uh, um, Dave Taylor told me. I think they used to say, you know, you can win the Scudetto, but we have Antonioni. That is kind of the that is kind of the attitude, really. And so you could say the same with Batistuta. You could say the same with Baggio. I guess there is that. Uh, the, the cult of the individual, which is, you know, if you look at the history of Florence, I guess that is true. You go back to the Medici or whatever, you know, this this place where one mercurial, brilliant individual could could flourish was has always been nanned in the world of art, I guess. So, you know, that may be taking it a bit far, but definitely as Fiorentina as a team, you have to console yourself with something, don't you? If you don't win much, um, then at least, you know, in, in Toro's case, you can say we worked harder than they did. You know, we we gave it our all. In Fiorentina's case, maybe that's not so much, but we can always think anyway that we had the best player on the pitch and they did something, you know, absolutely amazing. So, you know, those sort of things, you know, to see Batistuta, who I saw him play a number of times, that was amazing. See Rui Costa as well, another you know great great player. Um, you just feel privileged to, to have had really you know those three or four players. Even if you never saw another good player put on a purple shirt again, that would be that would be plenty for me. But you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll get to see some more good ones as well. You, you've you've got Rolando Mandragora now, so you know. Don't exactly, <laughs> exactly the natural ear, <laughs> the, the, the nice, the, the sweetest left foot in all of Syria. <laughs> um, but going on to, I guess, Fiorent, like how you can consume Fiorentina today. Do you? Um, I don't know how often you get to watch them live in Florence or in Italy, but what's your? Yeah, how often do you get to do that? And then also, what, what's your kind of match day routine? I guess like. Like as you're probably watching in the UK on, I guess on BT or TNT. It's, it yeah, it's usually that. I mean, I, I don't get out much. I used to get out much more before I was a, a husband and a father and whatever. You know, the, the the encumbrances of family life make it a little more 
difficult. Um, so the, I think the last game I was at was a pre-season friendly a couple of seasons ago when we were over in the when we were over in the summer. Um, but, but but my ritual, I mean, it depends. Obviously, that's the funny thing now with the with times moving about. Um, I mean, I I was very pleased. I mean, I've liked the. I think I tweeted a picture of my bacon roll uh, a couple of weeks ago when we beat Frosinone, and I said maybe we should kick off at eleven thirty every every because that was one of the perks of it being sort of um, Sunday brunch time in in the UK. Um, so I mean, I generally used to used to my dad used to come around and watch a lot of the games with me. He doesn't do that so much now. He's very nervous football watcher. I mean, I am too, but he's even more so, so he finds it almost impossible to watch any even sort of mildly important game. But my son quite often now watches watches the games with me. And uh, you know, it's it's I mean, I think it's fairly traditional that there's a lot of um, pain and suffering and there's a there's a beanbag in the living room that's taken a bit of a battering over the years um, with the odd goal that we've conceded. I, t- I tell you a story just in another, not in this house, but in the previous house, I was I made the mistake, and I won't ever do it again, of watching Fiorentina whilst I was ironing. And um, so, I mean, I hope that sort of curry some fever with listeners to think of what an enlightened um, <laughs> husband I am. But I was doing the ironing, and I remember to this day, Cafu scored for Roma against Fiorentina, and I was so enraged that I threw down the iron, and it bounced back up off the ironing board. And instinctively, I, I, you may or may not have done this yourself, instinctively you just go to catch it. And so I, I burnt my fingers, Cafu burnt my fingers it was my own stupid fault because I had done a lot of stupid things um, with football related anger uh, but that was one of the most stupid was I caught an iron and then realised it wasn't such a good idea to let it go so if uh, I mean I don't know if Cafu listens to this podcast but if he does and he wants to compensate me for uh, three scalded fingers that would be that would be much appreciated it's funny I've um I do do ironing as well, being another enlightened individual. But I, I have a pattern of whenever the Turin derby is on, I find myself the best distraction is by ironing when doing it. I don't, I don't know why, but I think I get so tense and so nervous, despite the inevitable. It's not, it's not a question of um, what the result will be. It's a question of how we're going to lose this match. And uh, yeah, it's I, I find I find I do find ironing quite relaxing in that sense. Rob, you're I mean, getting married soon, so let this be a lesson to you. Yeah, yeah that's obviously the key to key to a long, healthy marriage is, is do the ironing whilst the football's on. Um, do the yeah, ironing. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll readdress the balance by saying, I've, yeah, I've never done any ironing whilst watching Taro. But yeah, you, sometimes, <laughs> what, sometimes um, yeah, trying to distract yourself before the game and make you, especially when it's in a, sorry, maybe not, I've had as many important games as, as Fiorentina in the last few seasons, but yeah, if you try and think about it too much, the morning of a, of a derby, you just wake up and feeling sick from the start. Just like Peter says, it's not it's not what happens if we win; it's how are we going to lose. Let Let's move on a little bit to, I guess, the present day Fiorentina. Um, so you got two, two finals last year, which we won't dwell on. I, I I will ask you this question. I felt, what was it like? Being in the UK and losing to West Ham, that must have been uh, more irritating than losing to Inter in the Coppa Italia, I imagine. 
Yeah, it was. It was for a few reasons, really. I mean, I, I would say primarily on the evidence of the game. Um, you know, against Inter, I thought Fiorentina started well, but kind of lost the thread a bit. And, you know, Inter have such a strong squad that it, there was no disgrace in, in losing that. I felt against West Ham, Fiorentina were the better team and got kind of, I mean... You know, the, the, the kind of football that was vilified by Italian teams back in the 70s was kind of what West Ham used to beat Fiorentina caught on the break in the 90-odd minute or whatever. So that was harder. The other thing, as you'll have guessed from the accent, is that I'm a Scottish Italian, so to lose to an English team was was more painful, definitely. You know, there's there's no doubt that those games... Italy v England uh, at national team level and Italian team versus English team at European level are the, the most strongly felt. I can remember as a boy watching my uncles roll around the living room floor when Marco Tardelli scored against England in the Euros in uh, 1980, I think, um, to win the game. So I've been long brought up with a, you know, a, a dislike of all of all things England, really, in football terms, not yourselves, obviously, and uh, and so the West Ham one definitely was was more painful, harder to take, and all the harder to take because I think every single BT commentary this season has started off with some mention of the Conference League final that Fiorentina lost to West Ham. You know, this sort of constant the the need to link in some way to the Premier League they always find it and that's Fiorentina's unfortunate link to the Premier League for now you can, you, so you can rest assured you, you lose to Aston Villa this, this season and they'll do it all over again yeah exactly but, exactly that's something I've just uh, I, I can feel sort of impending doom as I see the draw unfolding before me and I think this this could be could be history repeating but you know that was that was the more that was the more painful one for me the Copa was was a sore one but I felt you know you could see the better team won whereas churlish me found it hard to see the better team won in the conference league final but hey who that is football so I guess I guess moving on to uh the Fiorentina of today um I guess Rob and I have a habit of bashing Toro quite a bit but I always feel like Fiorentina are doing a lot better than we are and you are in the cup competitions but the last few seasons looking at league tables there's only ever a few points separating us at most stages of the season so is I guess my question is I feel from the outside Fiorentina you've got a president who invests more money than our president um, and I really like what you've done with the I think it's the Viola Park or your new training complex we tend to fish in the same pond for players and then quite often you gazumpus because you actually offer more money or you offer money um, but yeah there's a lot of similarities there um, I like a lot of what Italiano does as a coach, I don't know if sometimes like Juric is a bit too dogmatic, but is there, um, is there a sense Fiorentina have un- actually underachieved the last past few seasons, given that, and Rob and I discuss this a lot, that there's not actually many good teams in Serie A, really. If we, there's a lot of teams who uh, get by on individual brilliance, or but actually truly competent teams, I don't think there's too many. And I, Personally, I think Fiorentina maybe should be 
should have been batting where Atalanta have been batting. But I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think for, for history, for tradition, you know, Fiorentina are probably the, the, I don't know, the fourth, the fifth force of Italian football. So, you know, if they ever draw up a an all-time league table, um, they're always there or thereabouts. So, you know, from that point of view and... The investment point of view is an interesting one because obviously the Viola Park has been a big investment and that, you know, hope bears its fruit somewhere down the line. Um, the investing in players is a bit more problematic because, you know, financial fair play was, was put in place to stop clubs doing what Fiorentina did. Um, and so it, it does limit you know, although although Rocco Comiso is a wealthy man, he's well, one, he's not a stupid man, and two, you know, he, his hands are kind of tied in terms of he can't just go out. I mean, it's it seems odd that there are teams that do seem to go out and spend beyond their means and face no penalty, um, naming no names, um, but but listeners can put in the name of the, the team they dislike the most in that. But, you know, it, it does seem a bit of an unlevel, an unfair playing field for, for Fiorentina and that, you know, th- there's almost like a closed shop of, you know, the teams that are already big stay big and they can spend. Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of underachievement, I guess, that the trophy would be the thing. You know, I think that's what Fiorentina fans are obsessed about, I guess, is, you know, because it has been a, a long time since um, they they lifted anything, you know, there's nothing in the nothing in the De La Valle era, nothing in the um, in the Comiso era so far. So you know, it would be nice, but it's difficult to to do that really because I see financially your hands are a bit tied. You can't just go out and buy the biggest names. And you know, Fiorentina, I suppose um, if I see the name Mario Gomez. Um, a lot of Fiorentina fans will remember that that was a, a big investment at the time that, that didn't pan out. So, you know, I think their fingers got burned a bit with that and they've always been a bit loath to to spend gigantically, you know. So, as I say, it might seem big spenders from from Toro eyes, but, you know, it doesn't feel like they're big spenders as a, as a Fiorentina supporter. And I mean, if you want the flip side of how a Fiorentina fan views views Toro, I think it always, in recent times anyway, seen as a kind of, a, what can you say, the bar for where your season should be. If you're not above Torino, that's a bad season. And if you're below Torino, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're below Torino, it's a bad season. If you're above, it's probably going to be a pretty good season. And that's, that's probably frustrating for you guys, I'd imagine, because plodding along mid-table is not a lot of fun to to watch. And, you know, I'd, I'd say generally I'd, I don't watch Torino anything like as much as you guys do, but um, up until recently, I think they've been quite a hard watch. They seem to be, unfortunately for Fiorentina, they seem to be perhaps cutting loose a bit more now and playing a little more expansive Football, but you know, um, certainly Fiorentina in their own crazy madcap way. I think you know that that thing where neutrals, you see, you know, you've got to see this team play. I don't think a lot of people say that about Torino. Um, whereas, you know, at times certainly for in good and bad, I think you can say it about Fiorentina because the games are generally entertaining. They, they 
possibly don't win them. Um, but you know, there's likely to be goals, there's likely to be action, there's likely to be controversy as well. Yeah, I think I think with Toro and the Juric, I mean, we've we've been through it a lot on our, our own podcast. The first season was very heavy metal football, high press. It looked like we were getting a kind of clop at Liverpool. And then for various reasons, maybe Juric has mellowed, maybe he's the, the system the players he's had have been have been different. It's it's a bit elevator music at the moment. But so, I mean, the game in Florence was a case in point. Torino always tactically almost perfect. The way we approach games, we concede very little in the first half. The game plan is always good. Uh, we just don't deal with adversity in a game. And if you saw the matches against the last five days against Lazio and Roma, we outplayed Lazio for the best part of an hour, probably our best half of the season. We did the same first 40 minutes in Florence. We looked really good. And we, we didn't create a lot in Florence, whereas against Lazio, we did create quite a bit. Last night against Roma was the same. So we're, yeah, we, we are a bit shot shy and we don't we don't take the chances we get, which is frustrating. And um, but I guess it leads me on to a point with Fiorentina. Is I think probably your blind spot is a centre forward. And this Rob is a massive, he's the go-to Bellotti guy. And it'll be very interesting, the reception Bellotti gets the weekend. Um, it'll be very mixed. Um, but yeah, how how is he doing? And uh, yeah, how I, I think you're a bit lukewarm about his signing, but how is he doing since he's joined? He's done okay. You know, what it's actually managed to do for Fiorentina is it's freed up, or I don't know if it's freed up or it's forced Italiano to rethink his plans a bit and drop Lucas Beltran deeper to play behind um, Bellotti in a few games recently. And that seems to be a role that he's thriving in. And Bellotti is certainly putting himself about. For all that Mbalanzola is a big guy, he doesn't win a lot in the air. He doesn't put himself about much. Whereas whatever you say about Bellotti, you know, the goals may have dried up from his his golden age. He does certainly work, you know, and he put in a shift, um, you know, the the Lazio game. If you'd have done this podcast with me two days ago, it would have been a very different uh, mindset for a Fiorentina fan. But Fiorentina were brilliant against Lazio, and he was not brilliant, but he was very good. He won a penalty, which Julie didn't convert, um, as is the Fiorentina way of late. Um, but he, he worked hard. He didn't, you know, he didn't have a lot of chance. He didn't do a lot. You know, and so in the end, the striker's going to be judged by goals. But as I say, what he's done is allowed Italiano maybe to find a formation that suits that suits his players better. It certainly suits Beltran better to be playing in that sort of... You know, not to get carried away, but like Julian Alvarez for for Man City, that kind of striker who's not a striker. Um, and we've also got you know attacking options down the wing. One good one in Nico Gonzalez, and one frustrating one in the shape of be it Sutil, be it Ikone, be it Kuame, whoever it is. As I say, those three players, um, I get the impression at least one of them will end up at Toro in the near future. So. I think Fred, just to just to in with my uh, obviously disappointment that Bellotti didn't find his way back to Taro in January. I think it was something which we discussed a little bit on the podcast, and Peter wasn't having it. And I tried to uh, tried to convince him in in suggesting that Bellotti would be a better option scoring goals than Pietro Pellegrini, which I think I think that's already proved to be true. 
Um, but yeah, I, I my personal uh, viewpoint of Fiorentina, obviously they've they've got the sort of friendship with with Toro and uh, and Fiorentina, where that anti Juve alliance, which is always good. But in recent seasons, I almost look a little bit envious, almost like a like an older brother who's just sort of good at everything. And but they're not even that much better than you; they're just slightly better than you. So and that's the that relationship with Toro Fiorentina. I see like even Toro recently. Uh, obviously had the Kappa uh, deal in terms of the shirts, so at least we had some cool shirts. Fiorentina have got better, a better shirt this season with the with the Kappa contract as well. So it's just and then obviously yeah, Belotti going over to it's almost like Belotti sort of contractually contractually obliged to to go and play for teams who I've got a bit of a, a soft spot for. Didn't didn't really have any hatred towards Roma and obviously Fiorentina now. And yeah, like Peter says, it'd be interesting to see if he starts, which I. I it's something he didn't do a lot of it in in his Roma days. If he starts, what the uh, the reaction he gets from the Kevin Maratona. I was at the uh, game last season where he should have played for for Roma, but um, Jose Mourinho potentially wisely kept him on the bench. And there was the the witty banner of uh, of the of the Toro ultras of uh, how can we boo you if you don't play? <laughs> I, I mean, I wonder. Obviously, that would be the law of the X if he did score a goal. But I think. I mean, I was having a quick check through the Toro squad and I, I couldn't see any ex-Fiorentina players to score. So you might want to sign one before <laughs> um, before the game kicks off. Or I don't know if there's anybody anybody on the peripheries of the first team squad that's ever kicked the ball for Fiorentina. Because generally, that's who scores against Fiorentina. They, they usually get the match commentator will say, and so-and-so hasn't scored a league in a half years or something. And you can guarantee they'll they'll pop up and uh, against us. So, but I was having a look, and I was feeling quite and that that you don't appear to have any ex Viola players there at all. It's well, it's one. It's a, become a one way relationship because uh, yeah, you you pinch players from us uh, until last season. We hadn't won in Florence since I, I used to joke since the uh, unification of Italy. It was like. We was the same with Genoa under the Gemalaggio. We never used to win at the Marassi. And then Genoa got so bad, we started winning there. Mm-hmm. And in Florence, it almost felt like a pact. Okay, we'll come to Florence. We won't do any damage. And didn't always work the same way when Fiorentina came to Turin. But I think often Torino was so bad that you couldn't not win. But I'd say the last, since we came up from Serie B 12 years ago, you've only won once in Turin, which I hate saying because we know what's going to happen this weekend now I've said that. But... Uh, yeah, we have a reasonably good home record against you now, and not a great away record. So, what's your? I guess one of the final questions. What's your? Actually, two final questions. What's your prediction for this weekend? And uh, I'll come to the next. I'll come to the last well, question. But, but prediction will be a, a. I think it could be a, a scoring draw, which might, might surprise you, given as I say, Toro's troubles with getting shots on goal. But um, it, I, I, the Fiorentina defence. Uh, not well, although we did concede against Lazio, but it was it was pretty much impeccable. But for the goal that they scored, but it hasn't been impeccable all season. It, and I think Fiorentina have got the attack to to score against Toro. So maybe a maybe a one one or even give a two two, perhaps something like something like that. I do fear, um, I do fear um, Belanova getting a good run at Biragi because he's not the fastest and Belanova looks in good in good nick recently. 
that does concern me because the only other option at left back is Parisi, who's had a difficult start to his Fiorentina career, been moved about a bit, um, had to play right back and then back to left back and make, made a few mistakes. Um, but as I say, be, be great set pieces, but but not so mobile. And uh, and and Milanova looks in some of the best form I've seen him uh, play. So that that's my biggest concern is that 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 attacking avenue and the potential of firing in crosses. Um, so I think there's here for Toro to score. So I, I suppose I'm being quite diplomatic, really. I mean, I would love to, I would love to win it, but it's just Fiorentina have been so inconsistent of late that you know that a great performance there on Monday night will probably be followed by a not so great one at the weekend. So I would probably be quite happy to get away with a scoring draw as well. And uh, a final question. You can win either the Coppa Italia. Um, okay, I can even do a scenario. You can beat Juventus in the Coppa Italia final, or you can beat um, Aston Villa. Are any Scottish teams left in the Conference League? No, 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 no. No, no I mean, <laughs> Re- Rangers are still in Euro. Rangers are in the Europa. Um, okay. But no, there's I'll no give, Scottish okay. involvement. I'll give you Aston Villa then. So you can beat Aston Villa in the Conference League final or Juventus with a last-minute goal in the Coppa Italia final. What are you taking? Oh, Juve. Juve every day of the week. I was going to, I was nearly went straight into Juve, Juve, Vafanculo there. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't help myself when I, when I repeated their name twice. It almost, it almost tripped off the tongue too easily. Now, mm. that, that's, that's the eternal rivalry. You know, there'd be no greater joy, I don't think, than, than pinching something off. Juve and the and then I mean, undoubtedly a European title would be um, would be beautiful. I don't hold anything like the same animosity <laughs> towards Aston Villa do towards Juventus and 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 Aston Villa have not caused me any great heartache down the years, whereas Juventus constantly have. You know, it's like that kind of. Um, Moriarty to Sherlock or whatever, you know, just when you think you're safe, they pop out from behind the curtain to steal away your steal away your sweetie or whatever. So it's a, that's a that's an easier question. That's a that's a no contest. And, and on a sim, on a similar note, um Giancarlo, and probably a, a more unlikely matchup than than Port Vale ever facing Toro. If um somehow Queen of the South Win a um, win a Scottish Cup or something, and ended up playing Fiorentina in Europe. Who would you be cheering on? Oh, that is that is a more difficult one. That that is that would be. I don't know. I mean, I might spontaneously combust in in <laughs> in, in sheer consternation. I mean, it's not it's it's not likely to happen. I I, I genuinely don't know. It's not something I've even contemplated. We may not have witnessed it, but there was a season when we made the cup final, the Scottish Cup final, and lost to Rangers. We we did get into Europe, so I, I genuinely don't know. I, I, I would be so conflicted there because, I mean, in Queen of the South, my hometown, where I was brought up or whatever, but Fiorentina is my, my biggest passion. So, I mean, I'd, I'd have to hope that it, I don't know, if is there a way that both, 
can win a football game? I don't, I don't know if there is. But... The way I used to answer this question, because potentially Southampton Torino was maybe a more likely um, a, a scenario for this to happen, which has probably changed from now uh, as of maybe my attachment to Toro has grown as I've, I've got older. But the answer I used to give would be it would be a two-legged tie and I would support uh, Toro in Southampton and Southampton in Torino. Um, and that's maybe a, a good way to answer it. Good answer, good answer. Yep, no, that that's that's what will happen. I mean, I think from from the depths of seventh place in League One in Scotland, it seems it's, it seems more more hypothetical than than even normal uh, to ask that question because Fiorentina are quite regularly. But as I say, Queen of the South, they had their one their one game in Europe against the. Nordland, I think of Denmark, so the fans got a trip to Denmark, and it was quite it was quite a close game. We only went out, I think they went out maybe three, two, four, one on aggregate or something. It was it was close, but it's not going to be happening anytime soon. Okay. Well you're famous for your predictions. So we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll hold you to that one. But Giancarlo, thank you so much yeah, for joining yeah. us and uh enjoy the match on well, enjoy the match as much as you can on Saturday evening. And uh, may the best team win. Same to yourself. Same to yourself.